Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Happy New Year to you. Have you enjoyed the last day and a half of sunshine? Yes. It's been amazing after 17 years of rain and clouds, right? <laughs> kind of felt that way, hasn't it? 40 days and 40 nights. That's probably close to it. And we're thankful for the sunshine and the rain. Amen. But we're really thankful for the sunshine today. You are receiving a handout. It's a, it's a survey that a a group called the Barna Group. Uh, George Barna started a group years ago. He's written quite a few books and started a group that would do surveys around the country. And uh, so it's a man of integrity, great man of integrity. Actually helped start churches as a, as a lay person in his churches. But this is from, uh, uh, from his business, his, his entity, he did a survey of 1,459 Christians, and uh, the question was, what do you think is important in the workplace? And so you can see the percentages there. And so I want to start the year off with something just very practical that's uh, applicable to all of us, whether you're, you're working in a, in a job, whether you're retired, whether you're in school, uh, whether... Uh, you're homeschooled, whatever your situation is, these are things that we can apply. But I want you to, I want you to look at, if you would, the, um, before I get to the scripture, I'm, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 12, by the way, chapter 12 and following, if you want to go ahead and find that spot, Romans chapter 12. So they surveyed these Christians, and they said, uh, what do you think's important? How do you think it's important to be or to act in the workplace? Uh, 82% said that you should act Ethically. Okay. Now, what about the 18%? What were those Christians thinking? That, they, that acting ethically is not that important in the workplace. They weren't thinking. Correct. <laughs> they weren't thinking. Well, well played, Brenda. Yes. Uh, always speak the truth. 74% said you should always speak the truth. And so there's, what, 26% left that... Said you should. I don't know how the survey was taken, Lord. It's a great question. That wasn't in the data. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, demonstrate morality. In other words, demonstrate morality in the workplace. So, seventy-two percent said it's important to demonstrate morality. So, what would, what does demonstrate morality look like? I'm not exactly sure the backstory on that question. So uh, a man's at work and he's married. Does he go around flirting in public in the workplace with other women? So that would, that would be demonstrating, not, morale, not demonstrating morality, right? So maybe that's one thing. So there, there are some moral things in the workplace that we are called to do in the workplace. And as Christians, we can see by this result that some people don't think that demonstrating morality in the workplace is that, is, is that important. Make friends with non-Christians. 66% say we should make friends with non-Christians. Why shouldn't we make friends with, with everybody? We should, right? We should. Now, there are people that we're going to run into in our lives that, that we shouldn't make friends with and because they've got problems that you can't solve, right? And so I read this week where 
this man and woman met on a dating site and they went out for one date and he realized I don't want to date this woman again. She sent him a text and he said, I, I don't want to date you again. She sent him 159,000 texts over 10 months. 530 a day. That's a, sounds like a keeper. Okay. Is that, how Marie, is that how Marie treats you? Does <laughs> she text you all the time? So. Yeah. That's like three a minute. I, I can't even text one text in a minute. You know what I'm saying? It takes me forever. And a lot of them were probably that. And I won't, I won't tell you what some of them were because uh, they were in the article. I won't, I won't repeat that. But um, that is scary. It's very scary. Very scary. Uh, so... We should make friends with the people who we can make friends with, but there are some people you just, you can't help. You know, a lot of people will hear that statement and go, that's, that's just wrong. Well, Jesus only chose 12. He had to pick 12. And he had a lot of people. It wasn't just like there were 12 guys and there was nobody else in town. <laughs> right? No other men around. And he had to sit there and pick. And he said, I'm, I'm going to pick these 12. And so... Sometimes we have to make choices about the friends that we have and the people that we invite into our life. However, on this point, if it's possible to make friends with somebody who's not a Christian, that's a good thing. You don't have to participate in what they participate in. I'm friends in this county with a lot of people who don't go to church anywhere. And they're not very moral, some of them. Okay, and they'll just flat out tell you right to your face. This is what I am. This is what I do. And like, okay, great. I'm still going to try to be your friend because I want to influence you for Jesus. You know, I told somebody this this week. I'll say it to you folks. I've said it before, I'm sure. But when I was 14, I adopted a life scripture. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I made all things to all men that I might by all means win some. And that's been my life scripture since I was 14 years old and so if I meet somebody my my sole purpose at the center of the target is to win them to Jesus I want to be their friends that's great we'll hang out we'll do some stuff that's, that's great I'd like to be friends but I don't want to leave this world having friends that I didn't tell about Jesus right right I don't want to go to heaven and stand there and him say why didn't you tell him about Jesus we hung out and and went fishing and chopping trees down and, and you didn't tell me about Jesus. I, I don't want that on my resume. So make friends. Uh, practice humility. And we keep on going. Uh, withstand temptation. Uh, do excellent work for the glory of God. 50% say we ought to do excellent work for the glory of God. How many, how many of you think we ought to do excellent work for the glory of God? Most of you. Okay. <laughs> we should all want to do excellent work for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, Christians should be the best employees in America. Employers should look and say, I'm, I'm going to find me a Christian. I need me a Christian for this job. This requires the best of the best of the best. I'm looking for a Christian. And that's where we ought to be. Right? Uh, serve others. Well, let's not talk about serving others. That's not important, right? <laughs> Jesus said nothing about that. 
Speak out against unfairness or injustice. Okay. Now, this is in the workplace. Help bring grace and peace to others. Well, if we ever need a time of grace and peace, it's now. If you heard the dialogue this week from our politicians. Help mold the culture of my workplace. You just, you just, he's amening. Yeah, Feel with it. Feel with the spirit and blowing bubbles. That's a good thing. Blow some my way. There you go. Help mold the culture of my workplace. 35% say that's important. I want you to know that's 100%. It should be 100%. We should, we should be trying to mold our workplace in the image of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about taking your Bible and popping people upside the head with it. That's not what I'm saying. That is not going to work. The Bible should be enough in you to where you're molding wherever you are. Now, if you're at the big box and you're pushing a buggy, looking for something to buy, you should be trying to mold that, that big box for the name of Jesus, no matter where we are. If you're homeschooled, you should be trying to mold that home. In the name of Jesus. If you're in public school, if you're a teacher, wherever we go, if you're retired and you're on the golf course, now you can't mold the golf course for Jesus. I'm sorry. That one's already lost. But I played golf. I played, well, I played last millennium. I played one time, I think. But I know what the golf course is like. But you can still mold the golf course for Jesus. Right? I stood in a, in a business this week, this, and there were five or six of us standing around and just talking about everything. And one of the guys didn't know I was a pastor. And, man, he was, he was, he was chatting up a blue streak. And just, I mean, it, you name it, he was doing it. Worse than the politicians this week. And the other people know I'm a pastor, and they're just smiling, just waiting, <laughs> waiting for the pen to drop, you know. He finally looks at him and says, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> he starts cussing about his cussing. <laughs> just, it just cleaned up the atmosphere. It cleaned up the atmosphere. And everybody quit cussing at that point. We ought to mold everywhere we go. Uh, and then share the gospel. Uh, that's uh, 24%. Only 24% of Christians think that we should be sharing the gospel in the workplace. Now, there, there are several different ways to share the gospel. Sometimes you have to use words to share the gospel. But a lot of times you don't have to use words to share the gospel. Just be the gospel. Be the good news. Be the good news to those students, Jerome. Just be the good news. Sometimes you don't have to say it. Yeah, do all the above. Yeah. Well, let's look at this. It says Christian millennials. Now, let's go over the, the let's go over demographics. Like I said, it's just really practical this morning. The um, <clears throat> they're called the silent generation, and that's 72 years old and up. Okay, anybody want to admit to 72 and up? Praise Jesus. We got, we got two that will admit it. So we've got two in that generation. Check this out. Now we're gonna have a lot of generations here. The the boomer do what? Close counts. <laughs> Only in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Okay, so we got three in that generation. 
Is that what I hear you saying? How close? How close? How many days? <laughs> Not quite that close. Okay. <laughs> then there's the boomer generation, and that would be 54 through 72. Okay, that's, that's where I am. Okay. I'm 54. Just kidding. What are you laughing at, Barbara? That's the boomers. Slipped into them. Gen Xers are 35 to 53. Woo, 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 woo. Hey, we got some of those in the house here, okay? Uh, millennials, that's 20 to 34-year-olds. Okay, we got, well, we got three of those. Uh, Generation Z, that's 3 to 19. 3 to 19, okay. And then... They haven't named this generation. I'm calling it Generation A because we just ended with Z. So, you know, A ought to start. And that's, uh, that's birth to three years old. See that hand right there? Yeah. So check this out. We've got six generations sitting in this room. Isn't that amazing? All because of Jesus. Six generations in this room all because of Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Um, and so when we go down through here, when you see these words, that's what they mean. So Christian millennials, that's 20 to 34 year olds, are the most likely generation to say it's completely important for Christians to mold culture. 40% say that compared to 35 Gen Xers and 33% boomers or serve others. Millennials really want to serve. Look at that. 58% millennials want to serve boomers down to 51. So there's still a lot of of the generations who want to serve there at their jobs. However, other responses from millennials imply they have some vocational lessons to learn. When asked to point the values they should exhibit in the workplace, traits like speaking the truth, demonstrating morality, acting ethically, or withstanding temptations, diminish the importance among millennials, particularly compared to boomers. However, less than half say their church gives them a vision for living out their faith at work. So, Shame on pastors and teachers for not making sure we talk about what it looks like in the workplace. Okay. It's a wake-up call for church leaders, the pastor of this church and others, to equip the largest generation in the workforce with a deep vocational understanding. So here's, here's the bottom line. Your work matters to God. What you do, Christine, matters to God. You may go to work every day and have... 700 people under you that you have to tell what to do. And it may get frustrating on that day. But it matters to God that you're at work. He gave you that job. And he's given you the ability to do that job well. And so it's important. Your job is important to God. We often look at our job and think this can't be important to God. But it is. It doesn't matter what your job is. It's an important job. And so moms, your first job is to be a mom. Dads, your first job is to be a dad. Those jobs are important. They're, they're important. It doesn't matter what you do, where you are, it's important. Ken, you're at Nissan. You know, you're over there 80 hours a week sometimes, you know. That's an important job. God has you there for a purpose and a reason. He knows that there's a mission field around you. He knows there's a mission field around all of us. It's important what we do. And so... Understand vocationally that your job is important to God. And that he's equipped you to do that job. And he will, listen, this is a really cool thing. 
He will continue to equip you in that job as long as he wants you in that job. It says in the, it says in the Bible, he gives seeds to the sower so they can continue to sow and you'll never run out. And so in the workplace, as you're working and you're sowing into people's lives, Tanya, those little kids, every day you're sowing into their lives and you get to the end of the day and you're like, man, I'm tired. And God says, I'll fill you up tomorrow. And so you show up the next day and all of a sudden you've got this burst of energy and insight and wisdom and revelation about your job and about the kids. That's God refilling you up about what to do. If you work with your hands, Scott, and work with the machinery like you do, God gives you wisdom and insight today for tomorrow. He's, he's waiting. You're going to get an assignment tomorrow. You're going to be able to make something. And you're going to look at it and go, I'm not sure how to make this. And the Holy Spirit says, I got this. And you go, oh, that's a great idea, Holy Spirit. And you make it. And, you, and your boss looks at it and says, that's great. I'm giving you a raise. You and your family are going to Hawaii for a month. And I'm paying for it, right? Isn't that what he does? You receive that? I prophesy that in the name of Jesus, right? May it be. Make it so, number one. Your work is important. It says in Colossians, it says, work as if you're doing the work for God. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what it says, Suzanne? Work as if you're working for God. Because you are. If he gave you that job, then you're working for him. He's the boss. You know, I've, I've had the same boss for, for all my work life. Jesus. It's shown up in different things. I worked for a land surveying company for 10 years. I was a surveyor. Had a lot of fun with that. Jesus is still my boss. I had a great earthly boss, Mr. Winchester. He's gone on to be with Jesus. Great man of God. Great boss. But he wasn't my boss's boss. My boss's boss was Jesus. I've worked in retail. I used to sell blue jeans at Belt Matthews in the, in the men's department, right? Man, I could sell some blue jeans. You know why? Because people came in looking for blue jeans. <laughs> it was easy. I need 501s. I need 503s. Here's a stack. Here's a stack. What size? Here it is. And I know I've told you this. I worked as a security guard at Lazarus Department Store, which is kind of like a Belks. Yeah, Lazarus, right? Love that. Up in Ohio. Me and my gun and my one bullet. I could Barney Fife with the best of them. <laughs> Jesus was still my boss. Jesus was still my boss. And he's your boss in the workplace. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about working in the, in the, in the working place? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, there's, a diff there's two sacrifices, a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice. Do you know the difference between the two? A living sacrifice can crawl off the altar anytime it wants to. Right? Dead sacrifice ain't crawling nowhere. Right? And so... Jesus is saying, you've got to hang in there. You've got you to persevere. You've got you to remain this offering, right? <clears throat> Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There, there again, there's an act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's not God's will for the big picture of your life. Oh, you're going to be a preacher. Or you're going to be a, you're going to be a mathematician. No, it's like, what's my will today? How does God want me to work today? I'm in the workplace. Something's popped up. God, what do you want me to do today? What's your perfect, pleasing will today in this moment? I've got to deal with this coworker. I've got to deal with this, this computer problem. What is your will for me today? That's what it's saying. Offer your bodies daily. Okay, God, I'm laying on sacrifice. I'm yours. Here I am. I'm at work. And I really don't want to be here because of all the stuff that's going on. But I'm here. I showed up. I'm on the altar. Tell me your will today. And then just be still and quiet for just a moment. And let God tell you what you're supposed to do next. And he will. That's what he says he'll do. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, uh, jump down to uh, verse 5. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion with his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And you could translate your job title the same way. If, if your job is teaching, then teach. If your job is making something with your hands, then do it with diligence. Whatever it is you're doing, you can add it to this list. And that God has given you that gift to use for him. Okay, here's some principles for us in the workplace. Number nine, <clears throat> verse nine. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. And so in the workplace, we're, we're supposed to love like Christ loved. On the golf course, we're supposed to love. If you're retired, and you're on the golf course playing golf, you're still supposed to demonstrate love that's sincere. If these are friends you genuinely love, then love them, right? Invest in their lives and understand what's going on with them. And pray for them. Encourage them. Show up when they need you. Right? Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We've been taught all our lives Christians aren't supposed to hate. But what does the Bible say? Hate what is evil. Hate what God hates. There are some Christians who have the gift of discernment. And the gift of discernment can run on a scale like anything else can from one to a hundred, let's say. Let's just pick that scale. Some have discernment around a three or four. Some have a discernment around an eight or 20 or 30. People who are way on the other end of the spectrum of discernment can see what's going on in this country and they absolutely hate the evil that's going on in this country. So much so they can't watch the news. It disturbs them so much. And you know why? Because it disturbs God also. He hates evil. Just like we're called to hate evil. Not people, but the evil that's in people. And the evil that's around people. And the evil that's in the enemy. That's what we're called to hate. Your discernment may be so intense right now. That it's hard for you to live in this life. I read stories about people like this all the time. And they, just, they can't watch the news, they can't listen to the news, they can't be a part of it because their discernment is going, things are so bad, things are so bad, what are we going to do? 
Well, the Bible says we can hate what is evil. But it also says cling to what is good. So if you're in the workplace and something good is taking place, cling to that. If, if you get a weekly report of how things went and, and get called into the manager's meeting every week or once a month, whatever it is, and, and there's good, cling to that. Celebrate that good. If you, if you met a quota, celebrate that in the workplace. Don't be a Christian that just kind of sits back and doesn't get happy. Celebrate a good. We ought to celebrate the good in our church. We ought to celebrate the good in our families. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Well, that applies to the workplace too. Be devoted to the person that you're working with. Maybe they need a little help this week. Maybe she was greatly abused all week long by her husband or boyfriend. And she's not told anybody, but you know, you know, deep down inside something's not right. right? And she's not getting her job done. Be devoted to her out of love. And say, can I help you with this? Let me pick up the slack. Because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, do we? We, we think we do sometimes. We, we judge people sometimes very quickly. And we don't have a clue what's really going on in their lives. We do. You're at the big box and you're standing and looking at somebody and the kids are going nuts and you just judge them right upside and down the other. You, you don't have a clue what's going on with them. None of us do. Now, if God gives you a clear discernment or a word of prophecy, then you might know something. But for the most part, we don't. We should love with brotherly love. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Show up at work, ready to work. Walk in, walk up to somebody and say, fantastic. <laughs> Isn't that right? Isn't that how you do it? That's how I do it. Just like that. <laughs> Just roll in. You never know what a high five fantastic is going to do to somebody's life. Once again, you don't know what happened then the night before. Yeah. And men, I'm going to tell you something. Are you listening, men? Your demeanor at work, the way you present yourself at work, can make or break a woman's life. Men are supposed to lead. Men are supposed to, we're supposed to call out life in people, not death in people. We're supposed to call out life. That's what men do. Women nurture. Men call things to life. For instance, if a woman has ever been abused, and one in four have been abused, they record that abuse and everything that surrounds that abuse, sights, smells, noise, it's all recorded up here permanently. And for instance, if, if a woman, a wife, a mother was in a home where the Father, husband slammed the door all the time and made a loud noise slamming the door. She remembers that. And if you go into the workplace and you slam a door or let a door slam, it's triggering her already before the day even begins. And she might not say anything, but she's triggered. Right? This is true for men and women. I'm just using the example for the, for the woman right now. Okay. It's a triggering event that may keep them from being their best in the workplace. So, men, we ought to walk in like the gentleman that we are and treat everybody like the human beings they are because we don't know what's triggering inside of somebody. Does that make sense? You with me? You with me? And I, I put the responsibility square on us men. Right? 
And, and ladies, it's true for you in the workplace too, the triggering events. But, but guys, let's, let's step up. Let's be the ones that step up to the plate. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, sir, Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Uh, that refers to strangers when it says practice hospitality. It's not talking about feeding your family. It's talking about feeding somebody you don't know. Taking care of somebody you don't know. That's what that phrase means. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, we've heard that this week, haven't we? You've kept up with our new congresspersons, right? Well, that shouldn't be allowed in the workplace. We shouldn't do that in the workplace. We should bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Listen, if you don't like this president, or if you didn't like the last president, we're not, the, the Bible says we shouldn't curse them, right? We should bless them. If you didn't like the president before that president, we should still bless them. As a Christian, it doesn't matter who the president is. Let me say that again. As a Christian, it doesn't matter who the president is. We should bless them in the name of Jesus, period. We may hate their politics. We may hate whatever they're doing, right? But we're still supposed to bless them. That's what it says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Somebody's at work and they lost a parent or grandparent, aunt or uncle. Mourn with them. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, give them a card or Whatever seems to be appropriate, I'm, I'm so sorry that you lost this person you love. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. That's called living a moral life. Right? That's what it's saying here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace may not depend on you completely because it takes two people to have peace. Right? Right? And so that's why the scripture says, as far as it depends on you, you try to live a life of peace. If they don't, that's on them. But you do the best you can in the workplace to live a life of peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's uh, wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head in other words he'll eventually be embarrassed and go oh my gosh you've treated me the best anybody's ever treated me and i've treated you like garbage uh, can we start over again and you simply say sure let's start over again do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good Good always wins. It may take a while, but love wins. It always wins. And then quickly, this last section is, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant. Wow. Leaders are God's servants. Whether we like them or not, they're God's servants. We don't exactly know the end of what's going on. We don't even know if they're born-again Christians. The Bible says, 
that God, right here is what it says in the scripture, God has instituted the government. They're God's service to do <clears throat> to you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of our conscience. This is why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. In the workplace, let's make a difference. Whatever our work is, retirement, public school, private school, workplace, whatever it is you're doing, let's make a difference for Jesus. And take this home and pray about it as you think about your workplace, these uh, workplace responsibilities. And ask God to give you a different perspective on your workplace based on this criteria, on this research that Barna did. And the bottom line is what you're asking is I want to be more like Jesus in the workplace. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thanks for this scripture. It challenges all of our hearts, Father. And so I pray that we would go from this place back into our marketplace and become more like Jesus and present more of Jesus to this world uh, than we've ever done before. Father, we want to take these scriptures to our heart. We, we hide them in our heart that we might not sin against you. But, Father, we hide them in our heart so that we may, we may mold our workplace for Jesus, Father. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to mold uh, the place we work, our marketplace for Jesus. So help us do that. And I pray that this week, at the end of this week, we would come back and share some testimonies of what God's done in our workplace because we made a conscious effort to be Jesus there. Holy Spirit, show us the little things that we can do for those we work with, those that we work for, those who work for us. Show us little things that we can do to demonstrate Jesus, whether it's a high five, a cup of cold water, an encouraging word, a thank you note. Holy Spirit, just put it on our heart as to what we're to do, that it might bring glory to you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.